This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Monday, January 3rd. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, school starts back up amid COVID surge, understanding how Sunnyside got to net zero. Mike Bordonia recognized as San Miguel County Manager and a mountain weather forecast. The second semester of the 2021-2022 school year is officially up and running, although on slightly uneven ground. We've patched it together at least for today and it looks like for tomorrow and it is going to be a little bit day by day in terms of what our numbers are. That's Telluride School District Superintendent John Pandolfo. He, for one, stood in for a math teacher who was unable to be in school on Monday, and the district is battling being short-staffed due to COVID or other circumstances. And unfortunately, um, things are very precarious. Uh, We don't, you know, I can't can't project we're going to make it through the entire week. Um, I certainly hope so, but, you know, if, if the question really is, do we have enough staff to keep the building running. He notes the school district did have to send several students home on Monday when they either tested positive for COVID or became a close contact and needed to quarantine. Tomorrow night, I think we're going to get back a ton of test results in this community from the testing yesterday. You know, I was out where the microgen folks were testing at the west end of the school yesterday afternoon, and I know they tested over 500, including students, families, staff. And um, those results could put a lot more staff out. While Pandolfo says even the end of the week is uncertain when it comes to keeping in-person learning, he adds the district felt it was important to stay in person unless forced otherwise. We know remote doesn't work as well. We know there's a lot of problems associated with that. Um, We know in-person is the best. And so, you know, that's what we're going to do as long as we can do it. He notes there will be no hybrid this semester. If a school is unable to be fully in person, it will be fully remote. It could be that it's one school that does and another school that's able to stay in person, or it could be that um, the entire district needs to go that way. But again, um, I don't think there's anybody who wants that. It's only going to be if it's uh, you know out of necessity. Shifting on a dime from in-person to online is, of course, not easy. Pandolfo says the district will need to shake off some cobwebs, but... We'll figure it out. Um, We figured it out for, you know, going on two years now, and we will continue to. But clearly, the uncertainty of education during COVID has its impact. Pandolfo likens it to whitewater kayaking. When you're in the middle of it and or you're in the water, um, you know... Uh, upside down or swimming or whatever, you don't really think about what it feels like until you're till you're out of it. And it does feel like that's what this has been. I mean, I think people are tired. I think this is going to make everyone more tired, and, and it does. But at the same time, I feel like, you know, there's been a lot of resilience built up. And I, you know, I think, again, the staff is to be commended, the community is to be commended, the students are to be commended. And Pandolfo has a dream for this semester, even if it feels a bit far away at the moment. I am looking forward to as soon as possible, but I'm going to say way before the end of the semester, really saying we are done with that now. And we are back. We're not wearing masks. We are not doing any kind of special stuff where we are, you know, we are um, running education the way we really feel like we, you know, we need to and where we're supporting the students that need that support. So that's what I'm looking forward to. 
The Telluride School District is actively looking for substitute teachers to assist with understaffing. There will be a substitute recruiting fair at the Wilkinson Public Library on Wednesday, January 5th from 3 to 6 p.m. Interested individuals can also apply at TellurideSchool.org. It's no secret housing is a challenge in San Miguel County, but building more of it could exacerbate another challenge, climate change. Residential and commercial buildings account for about half of the county's greenhouse gas emissions. So how can a region build more without also increasing emissions? KOTO's Matt Hoish looks into one piece of a potential solution. It's a cloudless day. A crew works on a hillside west of Telluride. The spot will soon have 30 new affordable housing units. Telluride Mayor Delaney Young looks on from outside the construction area. It's so satisfying to see this take shape. The town, along with San Miguel County, which donated the land, is developing the housing called Sunnyside. In part, a reference to the abundant sunlight the south-facing hillside gets, but also a nod to the rooftop solar that will make the housing net zero for carbon emissions. We knew it would cost more money in the initial stages to do it in this manner, but it would have been irresponsible of us to not consider this simply because of its geographical location. I had always heard of the net zero with quotes in California and warmer climates, more mild climates, and thought it sounded like a really cool concept, but didn't really think it would be possible here. Hillary Cooper is a San Miguel County commissioner who initially pushed for the local governments to consider net zero for Sunnyside. At first, she says, an architect friend told her it would cost 20 to 30 percent more to do so. But that wasn't the case. Lance McDonald is Telluride's program director overseeing Sunnyside's development. He estimates development costs increased by about 6% to get Sunnyside to net zero year over year. Which means that the project will be generating the same amount of energy that it would use on an annual basis. Essentially, the housing is still connected to the grid, but it also supplies energy from its rooftop solar. In some ways, you could say we started from the roof level down. Brian Golden is a principal at 2757 Design Co., which designed Sunnyside. Solar is half the net zero equation. The other half is efficient building and mechanical systems to reduce the building's energy use. And, Cooper notes, there are other changes. We also made a determination at one point about halfway through the design process that we would not hook up to gas. Emissions from all electric appliances, she explains, will be offset by the solar panels. Cooper says she'd like to see every building the county develops be net zero moving forward. Young notes Telluride is also interested in replicating the net zero design with other projects, but doesn't know if it will be able to. Canyons, after all, aren't the best spots for rooftop solar. What we will do is take the best of what works here and implement it in projects to get as close as we can to achieving our own climate goals with those other projects, even if they can't be net zero. Still, it might work elsewhere. Other mountain communities, Young notes, have approached town, curious about Sunnyside. She hopes it can serve as inspiration for similar projects in other areas. We want to all work together to not have to reinvent the wheel. We, if we have a project that works, if we have an idea that works, we want other people to be able to replicate it. But there are some elements that can't be replicated. As we speak, Young briefly turns around to look at the picturesque Telluride Valley floor and the view Sunnyside residents will have 
from their homes. People who live here and work here year-round have it pretty rough during the high seasons, and I don't think enough gets said about that. And to know that there's going to be people living here who work here and are working their butts off can come home and look out at the beauty that surrounds them, it lifts my heart to know that this is going to be available to people who really need that. That's why we live here, and we don't get to enjoy it enough sometimes. Sometimes sustainability means more than solar panels. Sunnyside is slated to open in early summer. Over the coming months, the town of Telluride will decide rental rates, as well as how people will be able to get a spot in the region's newest affordable housing. Mike Bordonia isn't fully keen on being the center of attention. As much as it feels um, awkward to to accept um, acknowledgement or praise, um, it really uh, does make me feel um, excited and supported to to have that recognition of my peers. And will quickly pass that praise to his coworkers. You know, the the only reason I was able to be recognized um, is because I have a really hardworking, intelligent, dedicated group of uh, coworkers that make me look good. So um super thankful to have people that I like and that are really good at what they do to help me implement um, the commissioner's goals and their and the community's goals. Bordonia is San Miguel County's manager and was recently named the rising star for county administrators by the Association of Colorado County Administrators. While he's now winning awards for his work, if you ask Bordonia, it wasn't his lifelong dream to be a county manager. It's something that I I never would have guessed in my past that I would be doing at this time. Um, But it it melds a lot of the things that I've had interest in and like making sure that our communities are are safe and healthy and uh, that our kids have opportunities. Um, but also that we're creating a fair system of rules where if anybody that wants to play by them um, equally, they can get um, they can get their dreams accomplished and they can um, have progressive things happen. He was drawn in while working as a teacher in Leadville. I was getting engaged in going to my local government meetings and um, simply thought I could do the job better than the folks that were doing it. And uh, and I was really frustrated at the lack of uh, public input and um, and some of the, the decisions and direction that I saw that, that county moving. He took the plunge, ran for office, and was elected as a Lake County Commissioner. But the county didn't have an administrator, so he quickly fell into the position. I really um, found something inside myself that I really um, liked in that role. And uh the ability to get to work with uh, department directors and other elected officials to uh, to deliver not just services, but to try and change um, our local community's lives was really the part of this job that excited me. In August 2019, Bordonia made the move from Leadville with his family and became county manager for San Miguel. I think the best part of my job is the incredible variety of things that I get to, to do every day. Um, the people I get to work with really makes it enjoyable getting to choose those people um, who are going to lead the teams uh, for the county is uh, one of my greatest joys also because I really want to I want to have this be the place where people think of when they think of 
um, a positive, uh, supportive, open-minded, and uh, and hardworking group of um, officials and people um, that are here to change their neighbors' lives for the better. Of course, it's not always sunshine and roses. People have a, a pretty high distrust of government, and they have for quite a while. And, and unfortunately, that bleeds into local government as well. Um, and not realizing that the really in-depth thoughtful factors that we're, we're taking into consideration when we make decisions uh, that might affect someone's life. He says it's hard to, at times, disappoint members of the community or not move as quickly as the community would like. We're a little bit like the town bus in that um, we aren't the fastest vehicle, but um, we're really reliable. We know what we're doing. But it's worth it to leave a lasting positive impact on the community. The fact that I get to to influence who works for the county um, in so many ways is some it's a part of my job that I really like uh, probably the most because I want to hire great people. I want to give them the tools to be successful, and then I want to get out of their way. Bordonia was recognized by his peers as a rising star in his field at the Colorado County's Inc. Winter Conference. It's an award worthy of celebration. And now he's getting back to work. Living in San Miguel County, a conversation about mental health is never too far away. Mental health and suicide are constant realities in the community. Next week, the Center for Mental Health will be hosting a presentation and discussion surrounding suicide in the region. Mental health clinicians will lead the discussion, exploring what leads to suicide and how individuals can stop suicide in the community. The Save a Life presentation will take place at the Wilkinson Public Library from 5.30 to 7 p.m. on Thursday, January 13th. If you or someone you know is having a mental health crisis or suicidal ideation, contact the Center for Mental Health at 970-252-6220 or call the Colorado Crisis Services Line at 844-493-8255. Five years after awarding the first Cheng Chavkin scholarships, one of those original scholars walked across the stage. Emily Case recently graduated from Colorado Mesa University, the first in her family to attend college. The Cheng Chavkin Scholar Program, created by the Telluride Foundation, awards rural first-generation college students $60,000, in addition to college advising and support. Case went to Nuka High School, graduated cum laude from CMU. She plans to go into emergency and critical care nursing. A reality of a new year is everyone has another birthday coming up. And it's not just people. This year, Colorado Parks and Wildlife is celebrating 125 years. Over the next 12 months, CPW plans to share the history of wildlife conservation and outdoor recreation across the state. CPW Director Dan Prenslow notes the anniversary is an opportunity to celebrate the past, present, and future of educating and inspiring new generations to become stewards of the land. Looking towards that future, CPW points to the opening of Colorado's 43rd State Park at Sweetwater Lake and crafting the management plan for the restoration of gray wolves in the state. For the first time in 20 years, Colorado is getting a new seat in Congress. 
Population data from the 2020 census led to the addition, but it will be a year before voters elect who they want to represent that new 8th congressional district. But the buzz is building, and some are already predicting this seat could dramatically change public policy in Colorado and the nation. KOTO's Scott Franz has more. Bob Beaupre knows the pressure and opportunity a new congressional seat can create. He was the first to serve the 7th district in the Denver suburbs two decades ago. Two terms and two failed runs for governor later, the Republican is now a Buffalo rancher in Jackson County. Beaupre did not write any major bills during his first months in office, but he says he was still able to grow Colorado's influence by getting assigned to the Transportation Committee. Me and my office worked very closely with the other six members of the House delegation to make sure that our requests for highway improvements, airport improvements, the, uh, the RTD improvements, that all of that was taken care of and funded as best we possibly could negotiate. Having another Coloradan on Capitol Hill, he says, also helped secure a new VA hospital for Aurora. But what in 2022? Will one more congressional representative from Colorado make a difference in an already chaotic chamber of 435 ambitious people? We don't really demand as much attention as, say, California or New York or, you know, some of the other very large states. Seth Maskett is a political scientist at the University of Denver. But it wasn't that long ago, we had just six districts. Colorado is one of four states west of the Mississippi River gaining an additional seat. And experts like Maskett agree there are advantages to that. Colorado's representatives will soon serve fewer people, making it easier to respond to constituents who often flood their offices with calls, letters, and emails. I think more importantly than the size of the congressional delegation is that it's seen as a as a competitive state. And that's unique. Most new districts are drawn by lawmakers using their power to maintain the status quo. That's the case in Oregon, where their new district leans toward Democrats. In Texas, it heavily favors Republicans. An independent commission drew up Colorado's 8th district, and partly because of that, it's projected to be a toss-up. This seat may well be the majority maker seat. With Democrats controlling Congress by just eight seats heading into next year's midterms, state party chair Morgan Carroll says it's already getting a lot of attention. It is that close that it could even come down to one seat and it could be this one. Carroll is framing it as a choice between continuing President Biden's Build Back Better agenda or reverting back to the Trump years. I'm not sure we've had a district outside of maybe the 6th Congressional District, even compared to Denver, that has had this much of an opportunity to powerfully direct the fate of the district and therefore the future of the state and, frankly, the future of the country. Christy Burton-Brown also sees this as a big opportunity. You are going to see Republican candidates be able to run really good races in the 8th CD. Brown is chair of Colorado's Republican Party. She thinks they'll regain some control of the state's delegation and even the balance of power in D.C. Democrats are failing the nation. Joe Biden has extremely low approval rating. Kamala Harris is even lower. Um, we see Jared Polis and Michael Bennett sink in every poll here in Colorado as well. Brown and Carroll both predict the campaign for the 8th Congressional District will focus on local issues, despite the chance for the race getting so much national attention. Seth Maskett is not as optimistic. Elections just generally have been getting more nationalized. 
this is a trend we've seen in the last few years where House races, Senate races are increasingly focused on national issues. And at his ranch in Jackson County, former Congressperson Bob Beaupre says he'll be watching closely, and others should be as well. We're in the middle of a problem because of the supply chain. Crime is a big issue right now. Climate is a huge issue. All of those are influenced by public policy, politics. Both Democratic and Republican candidates have already announced their campaigns for the new district that covers areas north of Denver up to and including Greeley. Primaries for those candidates will take place next June. I'm Scott Franz at the State Capitol. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for partly cloudy skies tonight with a low around 20 degrees. Winds could gust as high as 25 miles per hour. Tuesday, expect mostly sunny skies during the day and partly cloudy skies at night. The high is around freezing with a low around 20 degrees. Winds could gust as high as 30 miles per hour. Wednesday, there is a 30% chance of snow showers with mostly cloudy skies and a high in the mid-30s. Wednesday night, there is a 40% chance of snow showers with mostly cloudy skies and a low near 25 degrees. This has been the news for Monday, January 3rd. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.